for our second hour round table on America Can We Talk with Debbie Georgiatis. More talking truth about America. And welcome back to America Can We Talk. Love talking with you every Sunday night at 6 to 8 p.m. And my Right View Roundtable, we always at the top of the second hour, we have a Right View Roundtable question of the week. And this week I want to have Greg, the board operator extraordinaire, play a quick quote clip from Donald Trump. And then we're going to ask you what you think about it. Sessions gets the job. Right after he gets the job, he recuses himself. Was that a mistake? Well, Session should have never recused himself. And if he would, if he was going to recuse himself, he should have told me before he took the job, and I would have picked somebody else. Mm-hmm. He gave you no heads up at all mm-hmm. in any sense. Zero. Okay. Mm-hmm. So Jeff Sessions takes the job, gets into the job, recuses himself. I then have. Uh, which, which, frankly, I think is very unfair to the president. How do you take a job and then recuse yourself? If he would have recused himself before the job, I would have said, thanks, Jeff, but I can't, you know, I'm not going to take you. It's extremely unfair, and that's a mild word to the president. And that was Donald Trump. And this is in the interview we're going to talk a little bit more about tonight. This past week, as most of you probably know, Donald Trump sat down for a relatively lengthy kind of Half off the cuff and half off the record and and, and most on the record and some off the record with three New York Times reporters. And so but he's obviously very upset with his attorney general, Jeff Sessions, for accusing himself in the ongoing investigation into nothing burger of the Russia story. But what I want to get from you is, you know, and I will tell you that I read the entire transcript of this interview and he made that same statement numerous times. So does it strike you as out of line to say that in public in an interview? Should he have said that? I mean, and what do you think? What's your reaction to Trump saying that in that interview? Either one of you. I, I know for me, and, and I know that we disagree on this, but I think that he does everything strategically. Um, sometimes it may seem far-fetched for some people to think that he does things strategically, but now we're focused on the fact that Jeff Sessions should not have recused himself from this position. The thing is, is that now it has just opened up a huge firestorm and it's gotten completely out of control. And if it would have stayed within his realm, it would have been able to to be controllable and manageable and it would be a big nothing burger immediately. And now it's just going to go on for years and years and years because that's what Mueller can do. And he can also charge the American people millions and millions of dollars while he continues to dive into a nothing burger. I don't disagree that that Sessions recusal was profoundly unjustified, was almost outrageous that he it was just so unhelpful. And so you're okay with it, this topic being in, in the interview with the New York Times? You're saying I, yes. I do. Okay. I, Jenny? Yeah. Please. Do you think this wasn't <laughs> discussed behind the scenes for, for a long time before it ever came up here? Uh, Trump seems to always be three steps ahead, and I'm, I'm in agreement with Dorinda there. And perhaps he wants this to blow up. Perhaps this needs to blow up to show the incompetence of Mueller. 
I mean, we don't know what the answers are, but I will gather from what I've seen of Trump that he has a whole lot more information than we did. And I agree with you. Sessions should have never done that. Yeah, there was a lot of talk about Sessions really getting very, very bad advice from attorneys in the Department of Justice who may have been in part Obama holdovers. So they're picking up some technical, well, you probably have to recuse yourself. I do think on Sessions' part that it was a it was an act of a traditional conserv- you know, Republican politician following traditional rules, not really, to use the expression I love, not really thinking about what time it is in America, not recognizing how much the desire to eviscerate Trump, to destroy him, is present throughout the administration, throughout the Department of Justice, the FBI, and other agencies. And so I think, you know, Sessions should have been savvier and recognized, you know, I think I'm going to get a second opinion on that. He, he, and savvier in terms of the consequence of recusing himself, because he did really, his recusal does make him look guilty. It makes him look weak. It makes Trump look guilty. It was just a really poor decision. I have to tell you, when I first heard this in the interview uh, with the New York Times, I just thought, my gosh, isn't there anything you deal with privately? I mean, (laughs) you know, it's kind of funny because I think kind of decorum in Washington, generally speaking, has been if you're going to let Sessions go, you know, you go if you're going to criticize him, you go to him directly. If you want to let him go, you go to him directly and say, you know, it's just not working. And so maybe this all was strategic because I think I mean, I I thought when Sessions recused himself, I would have been fine with Trump letting him go even then, because I just think he wasn't he wasn't recognizing the seriousness of it. Now, I will say, if, if Sessions has some really horrible conversation that is yet uncovered, and so we're going to find out, as a matter of fact, he had a really inappropriate conversation, and then that's a different ball of wax. But assuming that we, what we know now is basically all there is, there was no secret negotiation handing over the password to uh, the Democrat, the DNC server or something, <laughs> assuming that didn't happen. You mean you know, what didn't happen right there. <laughs> yeah. but, but, but beside that, you know, I, I think it was a strategic horrible decision and 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 with trump i will say if you want if you're expecting someone to do the statesmanlike, you know hold it back do it privately that's just not who he is and it's part of what america liked about him the people who liked him they're sick of all the career politicians the career attitude of politicians it just kind of um goes along with um you know just kind of holds the importance of decorum over substance trump's not that and people like that about him well and people like that yeah. yeah. Well, can we talk about more after the break? Debbie okay. Georgiatis, Jenny McGarry, Drinda Randall, don't go away. Could you lose your career because of your faith? Could your pastor be sued because of his sermons? Can students and teachers be punished because of what they believe about God? Can the government or even your employer force you to violate your beliefs get the answers and if necessary legal protection from first liberty institute first liberty is the nation's largest legal organization dedicated exclusively to restoring religious freedom in america in fact first liberty's nationwide network of top attorneys win over 90 percent of their cases they've won at the supreme court all the way down to local schools Visit FirstLiberty.org to learn more about how First Liberty is protecting religious freedom for all Americans in the workplace, public schools, your church, the military, and more. That's FirstLiberty.org. If you want hope for religious freedom and a free listing of your rights, go to FirstLiberty.org now. 
If there's one thing the conservative movement needs, it's a leader. And we have one, the Heritage Foundation. Hi, I'm Debbie Georgiatis. Heritage gets in the trenches on Capitol Hill. They promote principled solutions directly to lawmakers in Washington. And unlike politicians, they don't waver or compromise. But they're not a Washington institution. There are nearly a half million Heritage members and supporters in America. And they're on a mission to grow that number and build the conservative base. You can become a Heritage member by going to joinheritage.org today. I've been a member of Heritage myself for years. I have Heritage experts on my show, and I rely on their analysis to get the facts out. As a member, you'll get updates from Heritage Foundation on the fight for conservative solutions to America's challenges. Plus, you'll receive exclusive invitations to conservative events where you live. So join the growing movement. Find out more at joinheritage.org. That's joinheritage.org. Attention Ronald Reagan fans. What is the one item most sought after by Americans who love the Gipper? It's Young America's Foundation's Reagan Ranch Calendar. Young America's Foundation is the leading youth outreach organization dedicated to ensuring that increasing numbers of young Americans understand and are inspired by the ideas of individual freedom, a strong national defense, free enterprise, and traditional values. New audiences of young people across the country are introduced to conservative ideas through Young America's Foundation's programs, including the Reagan Ranch Program. The Reagan Ranch calendar contains spectacular images of the Gipper enjoying his beautiful 688-acre ranch, the Western White House. For a limited time, the calendar is free. Even shipping is free. To receive your beautiful Reagan Ranch calendar from Young America's Foundation, call 800-USA-1776 and mention the phrase Reagan Gift. Again, the number is 1-800-USA-1776 and Reagan Gift is the code. Learn more about Young America's Foundation at www.yaf.org. That's yaf.org. America faces unprecedented threats to our national security. The Center for Security Policy, based in Washington, D.C., is a national leader focused on the organization, management, and direction of public policy coalitions to promote U.S. national security. The Center is a special forces in the war of ideas dedicated to identifying opportunities and challenges likely to affect American security and acting promptly to ensure that they are the subject of focused national examination and effective action. The Center enlists support from executive branch officials, key legislators, and other public policy organizations and brings these teams together to develop and shape policies that will keep America safe. Check out centerforsecuritypolicy.org for the latest news and developments brought to you by America's leading security experts. Becoming and remaining informed is one of the best ways every citizen can be a part of the mission to keep America safe. That's centerforsecuritypolicy.org. And welcome back. I'm Debbie George Jazz, America Can We Talk? I have Jenny McGarry and Drenda Randall. Drenda is singing in the microphone. But actually, Lip singing. <laughs> Lip singing. Okay. <laughs> All right, fine. Okay. So, you know, we were talking before in our, our top of the hour, uh, right view roundtable question about um, Trump and his um, statement in the um, this very unusual interview with New York Times um, that he really went off on Jeff Sessions and actually he didn't say any bad words. He just said, "I really felt like the guy, you know." And and Sessions did put Trump in a really tough position because you know if you're out to get Trump and then his attorney general recuses himself on an issue where you know Sessions was in the middle of the campaign 
So the whole argument is, which is completely fallacious, but the whole argument is that Trump was somehow colluding with the Russians and maybe Sessions and, and what he said. And pretty soon you have just you have the, the Democrat media, never Trumper collusion, you know, the uh, complex just the, the sabotage complex just piling on. Oh, I like that. Yeah. Sabotage complex. I, yeah, I do too. So that, that's what, you know, that's what you have. And so it's, it's very tough. It's very tough for him to, to deal with that. And I, I do think, he, I mean, I, I've thought many times about Trump is kind of isolated in Washington. I mean, he really does have the establishment goes out of the way to undermine him, does not do his agenda. They are hurting him. Mm-hmm. You have the, um, the never Trumpers who, I mean, in the punditry world who just pile on and everything he does. Well, he shouldn't have done it on Tuesday. should have been a Wednesday, whatever it is. How many and, ice cream scoops has he had? Yes. I mean, everything that he does. And it's, Yeah. Well, you were going to say something else, and we had to go to the break, I think, about the um, his comments about Sessions in the New York Times interview. Or I just, I, the, the thing that I was getting to is just how he is having conversations with the New York Times. A lot of people that think, think that was a mistake, but I think whenever he tweets, whenever he does a lot of things, he is putting in, forefront, in the forefront things that we need to talk about. And that's where I think he's strategic in it. And for eight years, all of us that believe the way we do have been called every name in the book. We have become monsters in a lot of our own children's eyes. As some of my friends and what their kids come home from college and say to them is just alarming and it's so sad. But the thing is, is that for eight years we've had to take this. And now we have Trump who comes out and he takes up for the kids that have been picked on for eight years. He's the one that's going to say, oh, no, you won't be bullying my friends. I am going to take up for my friends. I'm taking up for all of these guys, and your bullying doesn't work anymore, and I'm here to fix that. I think that was especially appealing to Republicans because they felt like, you know, when you had Obama in office for eight years and the Democrats and the media just bowling over every Republican effort. And you had, honestly, the reason you had so many people frustrated the Republican Party and why you couldn't get any establishment candidate any, I mean, I don't consider Ted Cruz establishment, but he certainly was our elected official. You could not get energy behind them in the voters because they really have watched Republicans largely be spineless, surrender to the Democrats, do what the Democrats want. And they just saw in Trump someone who just said, no, I'm actually going to stand up. I think the problem with Trump and then we, the other issue I have with him, though, is. Like the Obamacare repeal, um, even with his own tweets and statements, he would have been happy with almost a nothing repeal, with a full repeal, with this. I mean, he really doesn't have an ideological core in the way you want on some issues. He just has, I know that people don't like this law and I know it's bad. It's got to go. And I think that's, it makes it a little bit harder for people to to relate to him as well. Serious conservatives are, are just like, wait, but do you understand the reasons why? And, and you're not sure he does. But he's actually, I mean, I think the bottom line feeling people have is he loves America, which puts him leagues ahead of every Democrat in Congress. I, I absolutely agree. And then I just want to say that also he doesn't always have to have the biggest core value of every topic that he undertakes because he's representing the American people. He's representing, you know, Mr. America, Mrs. America, and all those in between because they want the American dream, which they've been ripped off of over the last eight years. The American dream that they should have. I don't think it's just the people that were disillusioned by Republican uh, politics. I think you had people coming over to his side that were disillusioned with America, and they wanted something to believe in. They wanted something that— 
that was just going to have a person in office, in that Oval Office, that will represent what they care about. Not just what we think should be right, politically, this and that. Um, it's they, what we, political it's, correctness. Yeah. It's just they wanted something that was going to, or someone who could represent their desires, their needs, because it hadn't happened in over eight years. I agree with that. Even on Obamacare repeal and other issues, too, I think that for the, a lot of the average voter, they're not constitutional scholars. They're not, they're not scholars of separation of powers and, and Supreme Court jurisprudence. They just know that things weren't right in America. They didn't like the tone out of Washington, out of right. Obama and his, and Kerry and Hillary Clinton that was deprecating of America's place in the world, that wasn't mm-hmm. valuing the, the unique greatness of America. So they didn't have a, um, they, they couldn't recite, you know, a chapter and verse of ideology or something. They just want someone who, who got the country back on track and, and loved America. That's and, well, and when we say we, we, we wanted a repeal of Obamacare, he said, okay, we'll do a repeal of Obamacare. I agree that uh, he does not have the necessary um, idea of exactly what that looks like, but he knows that's what the American people want. Well, I, okay. I, I like Ted Cruz's. Amendment. I don't know if we're touching base on that, but that needs to be what's in the forefront and everybody talk about it. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, his, his, uh, the consumer choice, consumer freedom yeah. yes. thing. You know, we talked, we have talked about it a couple times recent shows, but again, be really clear. Just ask yourself as an American citizen, if you live in, if you're in Phoenix, Arizona, or you're in Minneapolis, or you're here in Texas, or wherever, and your insurance company down the road says, I have a policy you might like. It covers this, this, and this. It doesn't cover this. And here's what it costs. And you want to purchase that policy. Why should anyone in Washington, D.C. have the power to even weigh in with an opinion, let alone to prohibit it? And this is so part of what Ted Cruz is saying is, look, let insurance companies write policies people want. The idea that that is abhorrent to the left in this country, abhorrent to the media, to left-wingers in Washington, really tells you how far down the path they are to have the mindset that we in Washington, in our grimy little hands, we control your entire health care system, and you don't get a say. That is the left-wing power grab that is Obamacare, and the mindset that has settled in Washington saying, no, you consumers and your insurance companies, I don't care what you want, we decide what you get. I'd like for all of them to be on Obamacare, and then the thing would, would surely get fixed. But for uh, for our family, we went from $900 a month, and it escalated to $1,800 a month for a family of five. $900 to nine, $1,800. To $1,800 and a $6,000 deductible where we were at a, a $1,500 deductible before. And so it's out of control. Of it. And then you have fewer choices when it comes to our insurance as well. I didn't have half the doctors that I had before. and But it, it's it's maddening to sit there and think that the Republicans talked about it for seven years, and yet I'm going to have to continue to write a check for $1,800 when I'd like to use that for something else in my family. More trips up to Dallas. Yes! yes. That's right. Okay. <laughs> but honestly, you know, this is the kind of thing Republicans are never as good at as the Democrats. The reason they got Obamacare passed, in part, not just the reason they got it passed, but the way they brought the American people along was parading across the stage some little kid, and he has XYZ, and, and his and, and doctors standing there, or fake doctors, and the white jackets looking like doctors, and kid and a family, and Democrats are saying, this is poor little Joey, and this happened, this happened, all because they mean insurance companies, the mean pharmaceutical companies, the mean Republicans and the greedy businesses. 
And so pretty soon people go, oh, my gosh, they got deluded into thinking there was a health care crisis. They are better. Which there was not. There was no crisis to start with. So if our side could take stories like yours to say, you know, we're a working family. This was whatever, X percent of our budget. This was this changed our family ability to do this and this. We have to parade stories of people who lost insurance, who had to make, you know, really big decisions in their family to surrender things they wanted to buy or things they wanted to pay for or someone new to hire in their company because they could not afford. We've got to tell the story of the impact, the horrible impact of Obamacare on average people in in that kind of storytelling way. That's the only way I think you start to persuade people because the Democrats have been very successful in paying the picture that the reason the Republicans want to do this because they don't care about poor people and they're all in with the greedy insurance companies. Insurance companies are part of the problem because they've become so intertwined with the Democrats in Washington. They just wait to be told what insurance policies to to go with. 30 seconds. Okay. The one thing that that I find interesting is whenever the Democrats say the Republicans did this in the dead of night and they didn't let anybody know about it. And it's like, yeah, but you guys did it in the dead of night and then you said we're going to pass it without you even seeing it. At least we let you guys see it after it was done in the dark mainly. And we let you see it, and you still said people died. How can you say that it, they didn't see it? Because their their mantra is that the Republicans didn't let anybody see it. How do you know that it's as bad as it, as it is, that millions are going to die, if you didn't actually read the bill? So are you telling the truth? <laughs> well, I, I think it's a great reminder of people. That was Nancy Pelosi's big line yes. that made her so famous was, we have to pass it to find what's in it. Okay, we're going to zip off to a break here. We come back. Two of the three of us went to see Dunkirk last night. Somebody didn't come. So we're going to talk about Dunkirk <laughs> and standing up against evil. This is Debbie George Addis, Dorinda Randall, Jenny McGeary, and Melissa Mullen. Come back after the break. <laughs> Let me tell you about the group Vice President Mike Pence called the most effective grassroots pro-life organization in America. It's the Susan B. Anthony list, and they're the ones who are on Capitol Hill right now, day in, day out, to fight back against Planned Parenthood and the abortion industry. Every day in our nation, abortion takes more than 2,000 innocent lives, almost two every single minute of every single day. And Planned Parenthood is the largest abortion business in the country, committing one-third of all abortions. It's an unspeakable tragedy and a stain upon our nation and our humanity. And it's up to us to do something about it. This is your opportunity to join the team that's leading the charge to end abortion. Go to sba-list.org or Google Susan B. Anthony List now to learn more and start saving lives today. Do you know that one in nearly five United States residents lives in an immigrant household? That we take in more than one million new legal immigrants every year? Studying the impact of federal immigration program is the mission of the Center for Immigration Studies, the nation's only think tank looking at the broad national effect of immigration policy. Whether it's on crime, welfare, national security, or the job market, CIS digs out information about immigration from government sources, translates it into English, and makes it available to the public, the news media, and policymakers in Washington. Check out its work at CIS.org. CIS makes the case for better enforcement against illegal immigration and lower levels of legal immigration in the future. Most other special interest groups pursue the opposite. The only thing standing between them and 
Open Borders is an informed public. Get informed and stay informed by visiting CIS.org. That's CIS.org. If there's one thing the conservative movement needs, it's a leader. And we have one, the Heritage Foundation. Hi, I'm Debbie Georgiatis. Heritage gets in the trenches on Capitol Hill. They promote principled solutions directly to lawmakers in Washington. And unlike politicians, they don't waver or compromise. But they're not a Washington institution. There are nearly a half million Heritage members and supporters in America. And they're on a mission to grow that number and build the conservative base. You can become a Heritage member by going to joinheritage.org today. I've been a member of Heritage myself for years. I have Heritage experts on my show, and I rely on their analysis to get the facts out. As a member, you'll get updates from Heritage Foundation on the fight for conservative solutions to America's challenges. Plus, you'll receive exclusive invitations to conservative events where you live. So join the growing movement. Find out more at joinheritage.org. That's joinheritage.org. Hi, this is Debbie Georgiatis. On my radio show, we have the theme music by Krista Branch that has the refrain, I am America. I chose it because it summarizes what I think is a really important truth about America. We the people are America. We the people are blessed with extraordinary power in our country, and we have to use that power to keep America strong and free for everyone. And how do we do that? We have the responsibility to understand the issues facing our country, to get beyond soundbite and slogan politics. We have the responsibility when politicians propose solutions to understand, will those solutions preserve American-style freedom or slowly, incrementally destroy it? We have to vote once we are informed about the issues. But even more so, we have to speak up to our friends, our family members, to speak up in our daily life about the reality that we each have a responsibility and privilege to defend American-style freedom. This is Debbie Georgiatis on America Can We Talk. And welcome back. We're so glad you tuned in to American Can We Talk. So last night, uh, Jenny and I, and actually my husband and our son, went to see the movie Dunkirk. And, um, you know, I love history. I mean, I don't get that much in ancient history, but, you know, kind of American history for sure and world history. And really, I know everyone says it, but, you know, if you don't learn the lessons of history, you're doomed to repeat them. But Dunkirk was, I mean, the positive side, then everyone can chime in, but on the positive side, it was a great depiction, as far as I know, fairly accurate. I mean, probably not to every detail, but fairly accurate accurate depiction of this amazing um, show of patriotism and bravery by people in England when the short story, if you don't know, is the, the British Expeditionary Forces, I think they were called, was over in, in Europe. So it's 1940. You know, Hitler's on the move. He's already taken over certain places. He's moving into France. So Hitler's troops were moving into France, and they had French troops and British troops and Belgian troops and maybe others. But British troops end up trapped on the western, the northwest side of France, and there were 400,000 of them that were uh, that had been over there, and they were 
literally just kind of waiting to be slaughtered. And Britain had not yet, even though they were in the war kind of technically, they weren't ready to to take on this kind of force. They didn't have their military ready, their ships, their planes, their troops. They just weren't ready. And so these troops were trapped. And in Dunkirk, what happened was the British sailboat owners, you know, people who own small boats, and you know, in, in England's an island and lots of people have boats and they go fishing. Those boat owners were were just put in charge of, they were just unleashed to go across the channel and get over to the shore of France and rescue as many people as they can. The movie, I mean, it shows these young people, you think these people are 19 or 20 years old, I mean, babies, I mean, there were commanding officers who were older, but young, young men who were over there just these horrific conditions, it you know, waiting for potential death and waiting to be rescued. And it was just a very well, from that perspective, a very well done movie. But Jenny has a lot of background about it. She actually... Oh, Dunkirk is one of my favorite stories. And, and, and really the story that, that I've always been crazy about isn't just the fact that you, you had a military error that ended up putting everybody trapped on the beach. But you had this spirit that was going through the United Kingdom, Great Britain. And you were able to put out the call in a plan that they, I believe they called um, Dynamo, was what what the actual uh, operation was called, Operation Dynamo. And it came from Churchill. But you had a way where in this not official but official war that was going on that People, everyday people in Great Britain could contribute. They put out a call to people that owned boats, fishing boats, yachts, all different vehicles of boats, merchant boats. 800 boats responded. They met at a central point. The men told their wives, we're going fishing for the weekend. That fishing trip lasted five days, and they rescued 330,000 soldiers, many wounded. But this was just an incredible act of patriotism, a love of life, a love of their country, that they would not surrender to this. And today, we have stories like what's happened to baby Charlie in the UK. What happened to that desire to protect the national identity? The other thing I was thinking during the movie, because Jen and I were there together, was these young men, I mean, there's all sorts of horrific danger, and the young pilots were, they did have some pilots who'd come over from Britain who were trying to, to sink the German planes, who were trying, were trying to shoot down the German planes, and the German planes in turn were trying to sink the boats that were rescuing people. And I just thought about the bravery and what those young men at very tender young ages, and you think about now the military issues, like we are talking, in fact, we, could, we are talking about the military paying for transgender uh-huh. surgery. Goodness. This is the military gone so out of their minds. I mean, literally out of their This is what happens eight, year under, eight years under Obama and leftist thinking. The military is an experiment ground for social experiments like transgender versus training them to do these kind of things that were just, it was, the spectacle was simply mind-blowing in this movie. Exactly. Well, I don't have much to contribute. <laughs> <laughs> but, 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 <laughs> but um, my son is a soldier and he's in Romania right now. And, and I think about the difference between the, 
the kids that are thinking about things, what they think about now and what the 19-year-olds were just willing to go and do to serve. And it's just mind-blowing that you have that. And and now our military has to think of the transgender thing. It, it They have hurt our military in such a way that I don't know if they could do a war, World War II or a World War One. Uh, we've had military officials on the show saying, I'm afraid we couldn't win World War II today with the younger generation. There's not just that, number one, that just kind of rock-solid patriotism that you fight for your country. They spend half their time critiquing America and critiquing whether <laughs> yeah. or not white supremacists <laughs> contributed to whatever the heck right. it was. We, we have lost that sense. I do want to chime in, though, on this on this transgender thing. So we had an effort in among the Republicans and Washington to remove from the bill that was going to fund the military, uh, remove coverage for uh, transgender surgery. I mean, seriously, the even notion of it is is mind boggling. But okay, so we had this 24 Republicans, 24 Republicans joined Democrats in opposing, meaning for 24 Republicans joined the Democrats and agreed the military should have to pay for transgender gender reassignment surgery. Simply mind-blowing. But back to Dunkirk, I want to say about the movie. I loved it. It was really moving. Having said that, some of the criticism I thought was a little bit fair. Um, One point being made was in this era of the fight of good versus evil and, and recognizing Western civilization as under siege and the need to claim its goodness, it would have been helpful and good if you'd had some of the historical context, like we got to the point of Dunkirk because years leading up to that, as Western Europe and as Britain watched Hitler growing in power, watch his military aggression, we had many countries saying, well, I'm not sure I want, we want to get in a war over this, and I'm trying, and maybe we can just negotiate, we can pacify, we can appease. We can, and so we got to this crisis point because we didn't identify evil early enough. And so the movie did not have the element of identifying the, the evil of Hitler, the weakness of Western Europe and Britain in identifying it, and then really the amazing goodness of Churchill in bringing um, uh, Europe, excuse me, bringing Great Britain around to recognizing we have the only answer to this evil is to fight. Exactly. Stand and fight. Defend your country. This is, this is something worth fighting for. This is something worth coming together for. Right. And right. that's, and that's something that we could use even more in our country and in our youth to have that really instilled in the way that they think there is something about talking and saying what's important as God and country. I don't think the newer generation coming up understands the importance of loving country. And that's not their fault. That's, no, that's, that's just indoctrination. And, and, and it's, parents have done a, a marvelous job on, on our side, Absolutely. but they go off to college and they get told by this professor that they respect and everything else, that everything that they were told about this country was a complete lie and they actually believe it. And that's the thing that's sad is they come back home and they talk to their parents and they're like, what you believe in, how you taught me was racist and everything else. And they don't have that security of knowing that what they're learning in college is just not quite what what um, is true because our country is worth fighting for. Um, my son doesn't have doesn't have any qualms about where he stands and what he believes in. And the other thing that I want to make a point about is 
whenever they talk about Republicans entice Islamophobia, uh, Islam, Islamophobia. To, well, no, they entice um, terrorists to do what they do. You know, those those kind of things are just really disheartening when they say that. But these are the same people that throw gay people off of a building and they do all this other stuff. If they know that in our military we pay for transgender surgery, what are we enticing there? You know, so I that's it drives me nuts. This isn't a so. I mean, the military is not supposed to be a social program. No, it's supposed to be public safety, the safety of our country, our sovereign. I mean, it's supposed to be there for to protect that sovereignty. And yeah. and it's it, it's amazing to me how it's turned into this social experiment. Well, and well I do sad. Think, yeah, I think this movie Dunkirk is impacting a lot of people in the ways that we're talking about because I do think that people have kind of shaken their heads at the idea that we even consider paying with tax dollars in the military for trans for um, you know gender transition surgery. And so I think there's a, an awakening. I do think on the American right too, there's an awakening among people that we have let the, the left define America in the in high schools and all the way down to, up to colleges and down to kindergarten. We got to take America back and we got to go to a break right this moment. Talk to you in a moment. <laughs> On August 2nd, 2006, Debbie Lee was notified that her son, Mark Allen Lee, had been killed, becoming the first Navy SEAL to lose his life in Iraq. She had no choice about the news that was given to her, but she did have a choice how she responded. In response to her son's amazing last letter, she founded America's Mighty Warriors to honor the sacrifices of our troops, the fallen, and their families by providing programs that improve quality of life, resiliency, and recovery. Whether America's Mighty Warriors is hosting retreats for families of the fallen, helping heroes heal who are struggling with traumatic brain injury or post-traumatic stress disorder, providing relaxation at the Heroes Hope Home, stepping in when an injustice is committed, or doing random acts of kindness. As Mark mentioned in his letter, they know the price of freedom and who pays it. Our troops and families of the fallen need your support. Visit americasmightywarriors.org today to learn more. That's americasmightywarriors.org. Attention Ronald Reagan fans. What is the one item most sought after by Americans who love the Gipper? It's Young America's Foundation's Reagan Ranch Calendar. Young America's Foundation is the leading youth outreach organization dedicated to ensuring that increasing numbers of young Americans understand and are inspired by the ideas of individual freedom, a strong national defense, free enterprise, and traditional values. New audiences of young people across the country are introduced to conservative ideas through Young America's Foundation's programs, including the Reagan Ranch Program. The Reagan Ranch calendar contains spectacular images of the Gipper enjoying his beautiful 688-acre ranch, the Western White House. For a limited time, the calendar is free. Even shipping is free. To receive your beautiful Reagan Ranch calendar from Young America's Foundation, call 800-USA-1776 and mention the phrase Reagan Gift. Again, the number is 1-800-USA-1776 and Reagan Gift is the code. Learn more about Young America's Foundation at www.yaf.org. That's yaf.org. Did you know that one in nearly five United States residents lives in an immigrant household? That we take in more than one million new legal immigrants every year? Studying the impact of federal immigration program is the mission of the Center for Immigration Studies, the nation's only think tank looking at the broad national effect of immigration policy. 
Whether it's on crime, welfare, national security, or the job market, CIS digs out information about immigration from government sources, translates it into English, and makes it available to the public, the news media, and policymakers in Washington. Check out its work at CIS.org. CIS makes the case for better enforcement against illegal immigration and lower levels of legal immigration in the future. Most other special interest groups pursue the opposite. The only thing standing between them and open borders is an informed public. Get informed and stay informed by visiting CIS.org. That's CIS.org. Hi, this is Debbie Georgiatis. On my radio show, we have the theme music by Krista Branch that has the refrain, I am America. I chose it because it summarizes what I think is a really important truth about America. We the people are America. We the people are blessed with extraordinary power in our country, and we have to use that power to keep America strong and free for everyone. And how do we do that? We have the responsibility to understand the issues facing our country, to get beyond soundbite and slogan politics. We have the responsibility when politicians propose solutions to understand, will those solutions preserve American-style freedom or slowly, incrementally destroy it? We have to vote once we are informed about the issues. But even more so, we have to speak up to our friends, our family members, to speak up in our daily life about the reality that we each have a responsibility and privilege to defend American-style freedom. This is Debbie Georgiatis on America Can We Talk. And welcome back. You know what? This is the fastest two hours of my week every week. I am never exaggerating when I say that because I sit, well, actually earlier today, my roundtable ladies were at our house, Jenny and Dorinda, and saw the condition of my office, but I swore them to secrecy. I get I so it's all good. Stories. It means you're working. I took pictures. <laughs> you're working. You're there's working. so many stories that matter. This this show is utterly dedicated to the preservation of America's identity and greatness. It's the reason I do radio. If everyone understood America's greatness, I wouldn't be here talking to you every week. But I feel like so much of what is great, good, noble, and important about America is under siege all day long. Under siege, whether it is our place in the world as a leader of the free world, whether it is reasserting the importance of the rule of law and must be complied to everyone, the separation of powers in Washington, the noble rights that we recognize in the Declaration of Independence, the Constitution that come to us from God, they're the founding ideas of our country. All those founding ideas are under siege from the American left. So I do this show because I want to be a voice for America. I am a cheerleader for the ideas of America, not necessarily for either political party, although I, I, I'm unaware of anything I agree with in the Democrat Party, <laughs> but I'm a cheerleader for the goodness of America, for the right idea of America, and I'm happy really to criticize or, or offer my critique of any candidate, elected official or party, if they, if they run afoul of these precious, important, unique ideas. Because every generation, every generation from the founding of America till now has the job to hold on to the founding ideas of America. America is not great randomly. It is not great because we happen to have some certain people who are founders. It's not great because of the physical borders. It's great entirely. It's exceptional and extraordinary entirely because of the ideas underlying our founding, the constitutional structure of our country, the ideas encapsulated in the Declaration of Independence. And that's why I do this show. I try to defend America from that perspective 
all the time. And so if you're enjoying this show, I'll tell you two quick things. One is we have a YouTube channel. It is America Can We Talk. It's a YouTube channel that has all of our interviews beautifully organized by Carrie Kellerman. And we have <laughs> we have YouTube with uh, our first five segments. I saved those, all of our interviews. You can go on YouTube and you can look up interview with, like today, uh, we had our guest earlier this evening, Fred Flights. You'll be able to find his interview up by Tuesday or so. Alan West was on recently that people enjoyed hearing that interview again. I urge you to subscribe to the YouTube channel. It's America Can We Talk. If you just put my name in or just search YouTube, America Can We Talk, Debbie George Ass, whatever, it'll come up. I urge you to subscribe to it and to follow us there. And also our website, AmericaCanWeTalk.org. You can go there. You can hear all past shows on iTunes. And I I urge you to go to our Facebook page. We have lively discussions. We put up issues uh, under America Can We Talk. If you're watching online, this is where you are now. We put up issues. We take commentary. As long as you don't say bad words, you can you can even disagree with us. We just like thoughtful commentary. This whole show is designed to talking about the unique greatness of America. And the other thing I want to do at this point in the show is thank the sponsor of our show, which is GC Works. Could not do the show without them. GC Works is a Dallas-based company that performs research in advanced technology and delivers innovative approaches to the oil and gas industry. They sponsor the show. Couldn't do without them. Very grateful for them. And so in the last segment tonight, you know, we, t- we were talking earlier about how in Dunkirk, we, one thing that was left out was the, you know, the, the history of not speaking up against evil early enough, uh, be willing to fight. And then the same thing is true in Israel. We have many people around the world who cannot get their arms wrapped around the reality that Israel is essentially consistently under siege by Palestinian terrorists living in the West Bank and um, Gaza Strip. They've gotten a little bit calmer, but they're periodically lobbing rockets over into Israel. And so the, the, re- the need to recognize there is evil in the world and you have to stand up against it. So on that note, I want to talk about one evil that we see in our world here in, in America and around the world it has to do with radical Islam. And then there's a story out of Canada that I just want to share with you. And Jenny and Dorinda are going to chime in if they'd like to. I'm sure they will. They always have opinions sometimes. But that's why you love us. <laughs> it is. It is. True story. Um, now, even it's fine with us, with me, if we don't always agree. But anyway, uh, in Canada, they, they elected one of these uh, man-child you know, presidents. But he's like, very good looking. That, he's cute. That, that's why he got elected. <laughs> Justin Trudeau. That is why the guy got elected. Same with France, Macron, who actually I saw a poll recently, people are already going like, wait, he stands for what? He wait, wait, wait. <laughs> Never mind about that. I don't like him. I mean, if you vote for looks, you vote on skin color, you vote on gender, you're always going to be sorry. You have to vote based on ideas. So here we have uh, the very uh, cute young Justin Trudeau, who's a dope, and so he is Prime Minister of Canada. So he actually had an episode recently where he ended up he took charge of the litigation over of this litigation involving awarding 10.5 million dollars to an al-Qaeda terrorist who was convicted of slaughtering a US serviceman and Trudeau actually went out of his way to be sure that the award money reached this guy this this killer this murderer reached him before a judgment that had been entered in America by the widow and two children of this American serviceman killed by this guy 
they had a big judgment award to them, and they were going to try to apply it against the judgment if this guy were to win a judgment in Canada. And Trudeau went out of his way to stick it to this widow and her two sons, two children, and make sure this terrorist received the money. And this money was because he was, in their view, wrongly convicted of terrorism because he was only 16 at the time. He chose to pick up a um, grenade of some kind and threw it at um, this American, killing this one guy and blinding another, or partially blinding another one. But the point of it is, Canada, or Trudeau at least, has lost any sense of right and wrong. And they mm-hmm. lost, just like the Brits couldn't see how bad Hitler was, Trudeau and other leftists cannot understand the threat radical Islam poses. Can you imagine being a killer? You have killed an American serviceman. You get out of prison. And, <laughs> yeah. and then you sue the government for prosecuting you. You're a murderer. You sue the government because you're entitled to have killed somebody. And... and, and Trudeau could not see through the the maze and with any moral clarity and say, I mean, for, even for the act of suing us, put him back in prison already. I mean, just it's breathtaking. I just I want to some I want to sometimes understand the liberal mind. I because it's such insanity that there there's got <clears throat> to be more to it than what what is there. But it it is their philosophy and ideology in life that. We are the bad guys for for just being us and believing that a country needs to condemn terrorism. I I just can't wrap my head around this. And the other thing is, is though the one thing for Trudeau is sixty eight percent of Canadians are outraged by this. So sixty eight percent vote, and so hopefully he will not have a a, a reelection to celebrate. I am unfortunately awaiting for their first terror dealing with terror that's going to be at a mass level. And the error of the mistake will come out, unfortunately, on the backs of the citizens there in Canada. And you have this person who is an idealist who's in office, and he doesn't understand the reality that's really out there. He just wants to believe in his own philosophy. And it's sort of that old saying, if you repeat it enough, eventually it'll be true. Mm-hmm. But that's just not how the world is. I mean, this whole notion, I think there's a lot of thought in the American left and the Canadian left and the left in the world that they're somehow more enlightened because they're trying to be tolerant. They're trying to understand. In this particular guy's case, the the, the bad guy here who got all this money, I imagine getting $10.5 million essentially for killing someone. But his name is Omar Qadir. He was an al-Qaeda terrorist, and he actually tossed a grenade. He was actually almost 16, so he was 15 and 10 months or something. Tossed a grenade and killed this American, um, Christopher Spear, Sergeant First Class Christopher Spear, and partially blinded another Sergeant First Class named Lane Morris. So this is in 2002. He gets caught. He gets confessed to the crime, pled guilty, goes to the war crime scene in Guantanamo Bay, ends up being transferred to Canadian prison. And when he gets out, I'm still staggered by this. If you thought what you did, if you had any notion how wrong it was, you killed an innocent person. But his attitude was, I was entitled 
to do that. And I'm going to sue because you dared to prosecute me. And I just think if you have your eyes that closed in Canada, I mean, I, I don't wish ill on anyone, but you need to see in, Amer- in America and in Canada and everywhere that Islamic aggression, Islam, Islam itself is an aggressive, it, it is a conquest ideology. Islamic aggression is growing in the world and, not, and appeasing it or humoring it or apologizing for it is never going to in any way stop it. Well, and the other thing that people need to get a grip on is is they're going to say, well, he was only 15 years old. Well, the thing is, is um, in Palestine, they're having a massive amount of minors create crimes because they want that same narrative. So they are having these children as young as 13 commit do suicide bombings. And they have had an increase that is unreal. But they have, um, out of 45 attempts, out of 45 minors, uh, 13 of them were killed, and, or 35 attempted and actually murdered four people and injured 25. Now, when they say injured, that means that they've lost, sometimes lost body parts and have become um, just severely disabled. And I, the narrative that these guys are, the, the actual thought that they're going to use minors to do their dirty work just shows you how completely evil this this ideology is. It's guerrilla warfare. Yeah. It is guerrilla warfare. For us, warfare. it's guerrilla warfare. Yeah, I'll tell you what, we only have about 30 seconds left in this amazingly short show. I do want, because I want three hours a day every day, just in case you didn't know that. <laughs> I really do. But I, And I believe me, I can find things to talk about. But what, you were, what Jorinda was alluding to, up on the org website and the Facebook page, we have an article written by Maurice Hirsch, who's been on this show before. Um, and he actually wrote an article about how the Palestinian representatives or apologists were in Washington recently and trying to present a picture of Israel just irrationally cracking down on the um, on the poor Palestinians. And he had fact after fact about, I think that's what you're probably getting it, it is from. It's a great yeah, article. Yeah, great article called Fact-Free Israel Bashing Comes to Capitol Hill. Okay, Greg Lindemood's telling me we got to go. Come back next week. Every week we talk truth about America. Debbie George Addis, America Can We Talk. Thank you for listening to America Can We Talk with Debbie Georgiatis. To learn more or to contact Debbie, go to AmericaCanWeTalk.org. America Can We Talk, truth about America. America.